1: You know, you're the first guest on my podcast? Definitely didn't know I was. You're aware of that? No.
2: Are you sure? You want to get out now? Well, I just have a feeling on?
1: these are fake and this isn't even going on because <laughs> there's no way you got your own.
2: <laughs> no, <laughs> no, they did. They're crazy enough to give me my Holy own. Holy cow. You believe that? No. Oh, baby. Yup, that's right. You heard it. That was episode one of Chris Sims Unbuttoned. And uh, it only took 167 episodes uh, later, but. We got the guy back on right here. Seriously, in all seriousness, I mean, I know you're my friend, but thanks for doing this. I do appreciate this. It's good to have you.
1: Uh, No problem, man. I'm glad to be here, dude.
2: All right, good. Who, you got somebody in there watching you and listening to me right now? You got fans in there or something?
1: No, nobody's by here. I just, I got my window out here. A few people are walking by the door. I don't recognize anyone right now because no one's really allowed in our building, but we're building stuff all over the place, so... I mean, we have all these fingerprints to get in the doors and now we're not allowed to do that anymore. So they're fixing all the doors around here. We're knocking down walls so we can fit more than three people in a room. There's a lot of stuff going on.
2: Wow. I mean, uh, and we'll get into that. I want to ask you about this process of what your life's like, uh, like right now. First thing I want to get into a little bit is your wardrobe. I'm so glad you wore the hat. Like, <laughs> I mean, it, it's become a thing. No, no, this I no mean, I go on NFL.com and I look. Go this ahead.
1: isn't the hat this is this is a hurley hat man this is something i wear outside of work i only they they I, I have to wear yeah, that, I wear that hat it, on game day because they, they made it just for that but i'm not wearing um niner hats outside of the building right now i, I can't be that guy
2: <laughs> no i know you're not but but it's still the hat and the look and that's where i want to start too i do like where Where did you get this look from? You mean it's different from most coaches? I know you grew up in Denver, Colorado, and you thought you were a surfer and a skater at one point (laughs) in your life. But you know, tell me how you developed uh, this this famous look. Now that it's back ordered, the Shanahan trucker hat is back ordered. You know, it's funny that NFL.com shopping shopping sites. It's funny
1: that you are acting like most uh, like my dad is and other people thinking it's this made up look. But lots of people wear hats like this. Um, the problem was I never wore a hat during games much because I just didn't like how the hats were. This is actually a hat I wear a lot. And I wear hats like this, mainly surfer hats and stuff like that. Um, but when I went to New Era and they're asking why we didn't wear them, I just told them I was wearing one like this. And they said, well, you could design one. So they flipped the laptop around and they let me kind of design one and I picked out a, um, a logo and I kept shrinking it. I made it a, a netted hat and obviously got a flat bill and stuff. And I just made it like a hat that I like to wear. And then I started wearing it um, just on a couple games and we actually won on those games. Um, then eventually throughout the year, I was ready to take the hat off. Um, my I mentioned that to my wife one day before a game and I never mentioned it again. She said that's why we were winning. Um, so I just kept with it this year and. Um, it's not going to be a routine thing next year, but if I feel like wearing a hat, it'll look somewhat like that. Cause those are the type of hats I wear. Just like, why do you button your shirt all the way to the top collar? No one can figure that out, but that's just kind of what you do.
2: <laughs> <laughs> First off, I can't believe you compared me to your father when it comes to style. I know the hats in style. Have look. It's just that no NFL coaches have that look. That's why it's cool. That's why you got a down, and you can't, Dude, you can't stop wearing the hat at this point. You you can't. It's your look. It's almost like Tom Landry with the cap <laughs> and the feather hanging out. I mean, I think you've like, you know, you you really cornered the market on something. So it's kind of cool. Is New Era paying you? Is that's what I want to know. You got to No, with they're not,
1: and no, they're not. Which I I mean, honestly, it is messed up because I wore the hat just because I I liked it for myself, and they sold it in our gift shop down here. And after I wore it one. Sorry. After I wore it on one game, it sold out right away. And they didn't make any more because they just made them for me personally and then for our gift shop. And then I had buddies sending me pictures of eBay, like where those hats were going for like $600 and stuff, which blew my mind. And I think they started making more towards the end of the year. But, I mean, I definitely should have got something, I thought, but I didn't.
2: All right. I got one more bone to pick with you here. I mean, we hit style. I'm good with that. All right. I mean – You're a man of fashion. I know you got a cool house. I got a bone to pick with you about your draft day setup, too. All right. Just to let you know. I mean, you won the NFC West. I'm not sure you won the NFC West draft day look. I I mean,
1: I definitely didn't. I got, I definitely probably, I mean, we all know at at least second because everyone knows who dominated that day with Cliff and his house. Um, Right. But I, you know, that was hard to compete with. And especially California, like that house. In Arizona, if you get that one where I live, no, you better own the It's team. a little more expensive. Yeah, it's a, it's a little <laughs> different out here in the Silicon Valley. You don't yeah, believe it yeah. till you get out here, but it's like you live in the center of Manhattan in, in terms of real estate.
2: I know it is. Uh, I know it's, it's one of the most expensive parts in the country, but all right, I just wanted to have a little fun with you there because I, uh, yeah, you went with the old traditional old school coach's office look and McVeigh and Cliff Kingsbury were cool in a modern house and you know just chilling so uh, we're a different, were, a different style you know i got I had
1: the family around and stuff you i know. know i think cliff's the single guy i know sean's engaged but it's just a little different different deal for us i think yeah you're you're actually the old man compared i to am men. the old man i'm the old yeah. man trying to stay young with younger hats and stuff but i'm like i actually thought i was young until really quarantine i turned 40 this year how much gray came in my beard like My body's hurting a little different this year than it did in other past years. Like, I really officially think I got old in the last six months. So we'll see. Hopefully this season will bring out some youth in me.
2: Yeah, I know it will. I'm about to hit 42, and we are getting old. There's no doubt about that. All right, here's another thing I want to hit on. Because I I don't even know the answers to this, but I've, I've always been intrigued. You've been around. I mean, really, I want to know, what age did you know you wanted to be a head coach in the NFL or college football? And really just dive into that. Like, I know your dad had an incredible influence, but I was with you with John Gruden. Then you go to Gary Kubiak. You know, then you're back with your dad and you're in Atlanta and Cleveland and all these other places. Uh, I would just love to hear about when you knew you wanted to be in the NFL and then, you know, what you've taken from all these different people that you've learned from to become one of the best offensive play callers in football.
1: Um, I mean, it's such a long, I mean, it's my whole life, which you don't realize until you get to where I'm at now. And- Stuff like, you know, just so fortunate to grow up the son of an NFL head coach and everything. And I didn't realize how I was preparing for these moments in my life when I was just living my life when I was younger. Just what my life consisted of, how much I had to move. Um, You know, I never lived anywhere in my life. And I always say this, I've never lived anywhere longer than four years. Um, When my dad was a head coach in Denver for 15, but we got there at the end of my freshman year in high school. So after three and a half years, I went to college Um, and I've never hit that four past four years I got four years in Houston I got four years in Washington um, but I never got past it so this will be my fourth year here in San Francisco and I'm counting on at least being here longer so I'm, I'm glad I can beat that record with my own family and stuff but you move around so much and you get used to the lifestyle and to me more the the, the importance of it or like I always looked at football as a job because I always looked at it as man that's where we're gonna live the next year that, like when what happens on Sunday, i mean, I'd be so worried going to school on a Monday. Um, the two articles that were going to come out in the paper that everyone was going to read, and it was going to say whether my dad sucked or whether he was good. And it would be like kids saying, "Are you going to move or are you not?" Like, and so it was always that. I don't. I can't imagine how it'd be like now with the phones and stuff. And that's why I know it's that much harder. Um, but you just deal with that mindset always. And you know, I I loved football. Um, and that's that's what I remember my growing up with my mom my mom and I spent so much time and I was right next to her every Sunday our entire life uh, watching football and it just becomes who you are a little bit and I wanted to play so bad and loved playing that um I started to not think that I wanted a coach in high school and college because you just get I mean you met me in college I, I I wasn't as talented as you were and some other people and but, man, did I want to play. And I, I just became so obsessed with becoming a receiver and being able to earn a scholarship and and get one. And, and that's what I did. And um, that helped me so much in coaching, just being around top athletes like I was at Texas and um, actually getting to a spot where I could compete with them and what that level was like and really how they lived their lives and just, um, just being around it all the time from a player standpoint like I was growing up from a coach's standpoint. And um, then when I – I decided I was for sure going to coach was my last year in football. Um, you know, I remember them saying I could have a chance to go to the combine. I could pursue this. And that's when I just thought really hard about it. And I felt so exhausted with trying to turn myself into something I wasn't like, I, I thought I could maybe go compete and be a, a last guy and maybe earn a practice squad one day, but I was never going to be physical enough to do special teams or anything like that. And um, so that's when I was like, all right, I want to coach and right when i got into coaching i realized within a couple weeks like how much easier this was in playing i actually felt talented (laughs) you know i felt like um i had whether it was genes or um my life circumstances from growing up i just felt i had an advantage over most people just even when you and i would talk football or just being at texas would just be i just always felt like i had an advantage and then when i got around other coaches I thought everybody was going to be like my dad. All I knew was my dad and my dad is still to this day, like the biggest grinder I've ever seen. Like he just works so hard and is so detailed in everything he does. And I never thought, I didn't know if I could be like that. Um, And so that's also why I was like, man, I, I don't know if I can grind as hard as he did. And I like to have a little bit more fun and stuff like that. And then when I decided to do it, I got into, and I was like, oh my God, not everyone is like my dad. That's why he was so good. That's what said, oh, my gosh, I can be like this, too. And you start to see it. And what helped me so much is, you know, I mean, I never had worked with my dad. I had been around him my whole life. But when I got to go to Tampa Bay, um, you know, you were in your second year there. Um, they were two years removed from a Super Bowl. I didn't know John Gruden. Um, I knew Jeremy Bates, who was his quality control. And he had called me and told me he was going to get promoted so that job was going to be open. So I, I kind I knew it was going to be open before anyone else. And my, fortunately my dad knew John and he asked him if he'd give me an interview and John brought me in and ended up giving me the job. And I'm very grateful for that opportunity. Um, but then after I got that, um, the positions I was in, I just, I got, I was able to get so much knowledge there. You know, I go in respecting my dad and what they've done and all that stuff. And, but John doesn't do anything like that. And he does stuff totally different. And there my first year, especially, I mean, I got the whole I had to draw all his plays and John did more plays than anybody in football. And so, like, I actually got to draw and have experience on every play that was being ran in the NFL where my my dad just had a system that he did. And so he didn't really know the other stuff. I mean, he he could study and learn it, but my dad viewed it differently. And I got just everything from John, which was great for my mind at the time, because it just put a lot of stuff in my head that I needed to learn. And the, but the best part where I feel like I got good and separated myself from others was just my dad always told me when I got into coaching, I always told him I want to call plays and be an offensive coach. But yeah. and I, he always would say, well, learn defense, learn defense. So that was like the one thing that always stuck in my head as advice from my dad. And my dad was so good um, at calling plays and stuff. And that was so I'm like, all right, I guess I'll learn defense. And when I was with Tampa Bay, I mean, they had the number one defense in the league. They just won a Super Bowl because of it. The two years I was there, they were number one in the league. And after I got all my work done with John, you know, John, he sits in his office and grinds. And he'd come out and give me a list. And I'd have to go into my office. And it would take me eight hours to do it, but I'd get it done. By the time my second year came, I could do that stuff fast. And I was able to get all that done. And I spent so much time on the defensive staff and how cool those guys were to me. And it started with Monty Kiffin, who was the defense coordinator. Um, but we had a small room. We worked in basically a trailer. It was the old one. I remember.
2: Park. I mean, there yeah. was always... I tell the story all the time, Kyle, you sitting on the floor in the back of the room listening to Mike Tomlin and Joe Barry and everybody else, That Monty Kiffin, who else? Rod Marinelli was in the room. Am I missing anything else? Gus Bradley, was he there yet?
1: No, Gus wasn't. Raheem Morris was, Joe Barry, Joe Woods, Monty Kiffin, Ooh. Mike Tomlin, uh, Rod Marinelli. Like, it was just... It was unbelievable, and they were running a system that was just extremely sound. It was Tampa 2, and then they played an over-and-under front where they played man and three-deep zone out of it, but that was about it, and they had a few blitzes, but it was so sound and detail-oriented, very good run fits and everything, and I just got to sit in there and just listen to how defensive guys viewed football from the fronts, how to fit on fullbacks, how to do everything, and I was also, in the meantime, learning just thousands of plays. And so – instead of just learning plays from like an offensive perspective and be like, Oh, this is a really cool one. I was learning it from like, all right, well, this is hard on the defense if they're playing this front. This is hard for that linebacker. Only if this is his responsibility, is he too gapping? Is he spilling? Like just little things like that to where you start to, all right, I do like this play, but man, this play sucks Versus if they're coaching their linebacker this way. And then you see how they're coaching a linebacker different the next week. And you just get an idea of how to attack people and how to attack rules. And that's what was really fun for me. And then I got my first job um, as a position coach in Houston, where I was a receiver coach. And um, I went out there and I was with Gary Kubiak, who had been with my dad forever. So I was expecting to go out and finally um, learn my dad's offense and Gary brought the exact same one that year because it was 2006 and we're just, he was a new coach at Houston and we're just implementing the Denver scheme. And I just remember getting there and so excited to learn it. And it was from where I just came, it was the most boring thing in the world because John Gruden was just offense on steroids and just so much crap. And then, yeah. I, and that's what I knew. And then I go to my dad's and Gary's and it's just so much simpler. Like we're not, and it's like, And all I knew was John's at this time. So I'm calling my dad and stuff. And I'm talking to Gary. I'm like, how can we do this? Like, we're going to get killed. We got to do a lot more. And that's what you just (laughs) All you know is where you've been. And then you go through the whole year. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's so much stuff I worried about in Tampa. that It really wasn't that big of a deal here. But there was also stuff, too, where I'm like, man, you know how much better we could do if if we did it this way like we did in Tampa? And you start to find, all right, here's one way, here's another. Where are you? And that's right. kind of, I always got in between those two a little bit. And mine was always predicated off of what the defense was doing, but I loved the system and stuff that my dad had and that Gary had and how detailed it was. It was very similar to the defense in Tampa with how their run fits were. And it was, it was very anal and exact and not a bunch of stuff, but it all fit. And then I kind of just everything I've ever put in, you, you learn everything, but it has to fit and it has to fit in what you're attacking. It has to go with the theme. I'm just not trying to, just dial up plays you're trying to attack certain things and unlock certain things. And that's a defense. And so you got to understand that defense and how it all goes together. And it's still evolving. I mean, you never stop learning, you understand football, but you got to adjust your players every week, every year, and you definitely got to adjust what you're going against. So it's, I don't know. It never, it's always a hard question for me to answer because I don't, no way like it's it just keeps going it's a great
2: answer don't worry you're good you, you are it's it's spot on i mean it's what i wanted to hear i don't think i've ever really had that conversation with you as your friend really so i was interested to hear it all right so just to play off that because it sounds like you took some of the craziness and the creativity of gruden and then the sound coaching and maybe being a little bit more simpler kubiak combining that um that's how, for all the people listening, that's how Shanahan cracks the code. Letting And then, and then him knowing what defensive rules are. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's w- what I find fascinating. Is that fair to say, though? I mean, okay, so when we recruited, we had, what, like, 190 plays going into a game, maybe over 200? Just, you know, I don't want you to tell us anything you don't want to tell us. But, like, how many plays do you go into a game with now at this point?
1: See, it's so different now because, like, I might have – 30 types of plays which aren't much um but it's a way to organize it and a way to pair them together and a way to mix five eligibles around i mean if you have 30 types of concepts and you have five eligibles between your backs tight ends and receivers who are somewhat interchangeable like right what what do those different packages give me all right if i put out two tight ends well now based off of our studies you're getting these type of coverages all right well now i'm going to package this stuff with that and, and it's how to run stuff that you're good at which your quarterbacks good at stuff that you can always do but you're still a- a- attacking the defense and they know, don't know what they're going to get and so you got to find ways that it looks different because it is different but your quarterback's doing the same thing he did the first day you met him he is taking a hitch and throwing a one if he's not there he's going to two if someone's under there he's checking it down to three and, and like that never changes but you can change that in so many ways with how you deploy guys, whether you do it from wide splits, stack splits. You can have a way to be in three-by-one but run the same play the next week out of two-by-two two, just in how you use your back. It's, um, it's, it's really just numbers, you know, and then it depends who you're going against. You go against guys who just play zone and defend areas of the field. Or then you go against guys like Belichick, who to me played the numbers battle. He's got 11 guys and you got 11. He knows he's got to stop five eligibles if he's going to rush four. He's got six left, but he wants to double this guy. So now he's got here, and it it's almost becomes math and where on what you're attacking. So there's all these different ways to do it, and it never stops. And and it's throughout the game. And you can't, I mean, you can't control it all, but you can prepare the best. And that's to me what's different about football than every other sport. Like it's not continuous play. Like we have 11 guys. We're calling a play, and that play is lasting about four seconds. And there's 22 people on the field that are in chaos, but they're coordinated. And then you huddle up or you do a no huddle, but then you get the assignment again and you go out again and try to execute it. Not any other sports are really like that. And that's why like, that's why I think you will compare it to military stuff sometimes. Cause you're, you're sending 11 guys out on a mission, even though it's only four seconds, but it's coordinated. You've worked on that plan and you try to pull it off. And what happens when it's not pulled off, you go to plan B and hopefully that's, your quarterback makes an unbelievable play or someone catches in double coverage. And then that's the stuff that players make good coaches, but there is a system to it in our sport that I do think is different than I can understand in other sports.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, it's well said. And, you know, just something I want to ask off of that, like, how do you deal with the conflict then of, okay, I want to be creative and do stuff and maybe push more onto my players but also go, wait, what I'm doing is really good and working. I mean, is that something you figure out during the meeting during meetings during the week? Or you see guys just not executing maybe something new you put into a game plan? I just how do you balance that and know your team is ready for something new and something more?
1: Yeah. I mean the biggest the biggest key to a coach is just putting a player in a, in a position that gives them a chance to be successful and that's right. what a, that's what a play is that's what putting it together a game plan is it allows these guys to have a chance to do something that's still hard they still gotta find the, they still gotta get to the open guy they still gotta beat a corner who's very good in man-to-man coverage I mean they still gotta block a guy who is a lot more talented than them so there's all that stuff that goes into it and very rarely do you just feel you can go out and just pick on someone I mean I never feel that way really until like you have a plan and we, if you are better and you have a plan you can attack but when you put when you put guys in positions where they go out there even if they're going against someone worse and those guys on defense know what you're doing and the players feel helpless they always want more now once you get more to them and they feel like they have the answers but then they go out there and they make all the wrong decisions or they bust a route or they bust coverages and you have too many checks and you just, your guy plays like shit. That's when you're like, all right, that was my fault. Right, I got to take some off, but some guys need it. Some don't. And that's why you go to different talent levels. And there's a fine line between um, who can handle a ton and who doesn't want a ton. Cause they're just kind of a freak of nature and just let them play. And right, you want, you want both <laughs> and obviously. And the great ones are both. And I don't, in our league, because of film, because of coaching, because of the other talents, I don't care how big of a freak you are eventually like you, you have to have a plan if you want to reach your potential and the guys who can handle that are the guys who end up being the great ones.
2: No doubt. Um, This is awesome. By the way, I mean, that's great explanations. Um, All right. Last thing I just want to hit on with X's and O's. And then I I want to just pick your brain about a few things. And as far as the season's concerned, but you brought up like the Tampa Bay how. You know, the defense was simple, right? And they played cover two and cover three, but they were sound and they always knew what they were doing. Now, you know, you have the Seattle scheme, right? Robert Sala does the Seattle scheme. I, I am a guy or anybody that listens to the podcast at times sometimes complains about the Seattle scheme going, you know, I wish there was just a little more versatility from time to time. And a little more of a just a change of a look to keep some of the better quarterbacks on edge. What do you say to some talking head like me who who says that?
1: I totally agree. I mean, that's why um I mean people catch up with everything. Um, but the the, the bottom line is what's the foundation of your scheme? Is it sound? Is it good? And the foundation of that Seattle scheme is as good as anything. It's a very yeah, sound right. coverage built with three deep um four under. It's an eight man front that as always, unless you get a running quarterback, they're always outnumbering the um, offense in every run play possible. So until you learn how to use the quarterback or until you can do a few scheme stuff to handle that eight-man front, it's very hard to run the ball against. And then their coverage was so sound with their pass rush that, yeah, you could get completions, but you couldn't get big plays. And you had to do – and the only way to get the big plays – um, their defense knew what it was because there's only a few ways to attack it. Now, over right. the years, people see more and more of it, so they get better at it, and so people have to mix stuff up, and Seattle has too. That's why Seattle gets, I mean, schematically, they get harder and harder every year because you have to keep adjusting, and that's what all has done great with us too, and that's why it is not Seattle. They go different ways, but they all come from the same tree, and the same tree is a very sound run front with very sound coverages. Now, me personally, that's the defense I wanted because I know if you have talented players, then there's no way to really trick it. Like if you have talented, right. then it's too sound. You have to earn everything and right. yeah, make the quarterback go 10 for 10. And a good one will. And so that'll make you have to be unsound. Eventually you might have to do a blitz or something to get that guy off. But if it isn't that great one, there's no holes for the coaches, It's yeah, right. It's too sound. And there is some holes if we start drawing up some seven step drops with three hitches. And that's why it's so important to have the pass rush that we've eventually have gotten um, that Seattle has had. Um, When you don't have those pass rushes, it's you need a less sound defense. I mean, you go back to the. That's why Seattle three is the same thing to me as Tampa two. I mean, the, what they it is, doing. right. Three Tampa, deep or under. Yeah. They had to do it with stunts. Cause it was a two shell and hard to pass against, but that Mike was running down the middle, which makes it three deep. Um, and then they had to use the clouds, the way to get those guys and pirate and stuff to help in the run. But it was sound versus the pass. people got better at attacking Tampa too. And still didn't matter when you had Simeon Rice and Warren Sapp in that pass rush. And then you had right. those hall of fame players in the secondary. It was too fast um you go to indianapolis when they were running tampa too i mean when they had freeney and Mathis on the edge they were a top five defense and won a super bowl but when you don't like now you got to do some other stuff and that's what we worked so hard to get to when we were here took us a while and we had to go through some stuff with the drafts and everything and but when you get that pass rush if you have that sound defense man you make people earn it and that's what i don't like going against i want somebody who's unsound i don't care if you blitz us do whatever you're going to get some but man are you going to give us an opportunity to get some people wide open and that makes right. it a lot easier i'd rather just have one big play
2: yeah that's uh that's that's a way to just shit on somebody like me who says it right there and you know i think the I will, most fascinating go ahead, i will go ahead. say
1: it's not easy to get a good pass rush you got we, we right didn't, right yeah we, we had to go <laughs> yeah. through some tough years to get some of these guys so um you better have a plan b that sounds good but right. you know, what happens when your guys are hurt? And we went through this our year. I mean, you look at our stats at the beginning of the year and we go through like a five game stretch, like new Orleans and, um, some of these games where our D line just got a little banged up. They're a little tired. The pass rush isn't quite the same. And, um, we had to make up for that in other areas. And we did that with our team. And then our, our defense got back to their come playoff time. They're rested and playing that way. But, um, it's you still got. It's not going to last all year. You got to have other things to depend on, whether it's blitzing, whether it's a good run game, your offense play. you you got to have other stuff. You can't rarely unless you have Baltimore Ravens, whatever year that was. Um,
2: yeah, two thousand. cool Yeah, yeah, uh, and we were there for that. You and I, we watched that That's game right. in person out down in Tampa our freshman year in college. Uh, that, was right, awesome. that that was awesome. And way to explain that. I mean, really. I think the two things that jumped off to me is that because the, see, the, the scheme is so sound and that's what they run, they know what offenses want to do to beat them. I think that really jumped out to me. And then the other thing I learned is that Kyle Shanahan, a.k.a. the Code Cracker, his least favorite defense to go against is the Seattle scheme. So I think that'll be uh, fun for people to hear that. Um, it's what, a sound was, scheme. They have lots of different yes. ways to do it, but
1: that's why I, know, I wanted it. I know.
2: Yeah, I hear that. All right. I want to just revisit last year a little bit. Okay. Um, I know it was a great year. I know it didn't end the way you wanted to, but I, I just want to get like just some 49er fan type questions out there. You know, the first thing to me is uh, you break training camp, right? Jimmy Garoppolo's coming off a knee injury and, oh, he threw five interceptions in a practice against the Broncos. And there's all those questions and things like that. But like realistically, when you left training camp, you know, I know you thought you guys could be good, but like how good did you think you could be at that point in late August, early September?
1: Well, I knew we were there on defense. We all did, you know, and we had, I mean, the, the D line we were going against every day in practice. Um, we knew it was legit. And um, even seen in the preseasons, the scrimmages versus other guys. I mean, it was a very tough training camp to go against those guys. So, I definitely knew in training camp it was the best defense that I have ever had been a part of on any team I've ever been on, you know, except for probably my first year in the league at Tampa. Um, so we felt special about that. It was different. Anytime you have a defense like that, you feel like you're a playoff contender. Um, it was Our offense wasn't there yet when we started I mean, Jimmy just came off ACL surgery. He was going through all of that, Um, had some good practice, had one very bad documented practice, which is crazy how documented a practice is, Um, but it was a bad one. Um, And then you don't get to go out there. So there's a lot of unknown when you're coming off an ACL, and that takes some time. We also weren't sure on our receivers. No one had established a spot. We were depending on a lot of rookies who haven't played. Um, Also, some guys who we were counting on to play were hurt at the time who we never ended up getting. And um, we didn't know exactly where our O-liner running game was either. We thought that would be good. Um, you know, we, had, we knew we had a bunch of backs that we liked. We didn't know how that was going to play out because we all saw them equally as good in different ways. Um, but then we went into that Tampa game, and our defense played that way like we expected. Our offense kind of played like we expected too, just very inconsistent. It was very cool for me early in the year. I'd never been in this situation to try to try to call a game to help our defense. I've never been in that right. situation. I've always, I've always felt like if we don't score, we're going to lose. I have felt like that my whole life. I think I've only been on one. I think I've only called plays one year in my career where I had a top 10 defense. And that was, I think they finished 10th at Cleveland, my one year. Um, but I right. never really had that. And so like, I was thinking of that all off season, like, all right, you got to change your mentality a little bit. Cause we, you've never had this before and you'll learn how it's different. And to go through those first few games, where we weren't clicking on offense much and especially the Pittsburgh game, I think was our third game
2: where right, I think it was. We, had,
1: we had five turnovers in the first half and we still right. came back and won. Um, and we did it by running the ball and playing good defense. And we lost some guys in that game. Then we went to the Rams in week four where our defense was still playing great. And we, I think we had lost Kittle. We like at the end of the game, I think eight of our 11 guys out there were backups that hadn't played before. And to still able to dominate that game just physically the way our D was playing, that's when I was like, all right, I I feel pretty special with this team. And then the offense kept getting better each week. And then we made that move to bring Emmanuel in, which we needed. We just needed a veteran receiver to come and just bring some consistency in. Um, He did everything I hoped for. Um, And even more, um, because just the guy he was, the pro he was, like, we really took off. And it wasn't just his numbers that did it, but it was just that's when our offense started to grow up a little bit. And I thought our offense carried us when our defense went through some bad streaks. I mean, there was a time you right. go to about a five game stretch and our defense I think was ranked like in the bottom five of the league. Um, I mean, Drew was unbelievable when we went down there and there were a couple of Arizona right. games. And that's when the offense started to step it up and win a couple games. And that's when you knew we were good. I mean, we were eight and oh, I felt like every game we went into, I thought we were going to win. And our players did too, and you could feel it. And then, you know, the games we lost I mean, to lose in the last second to Baltimore, um, the last second to Atlanta, um, you know, it's we feel like we could have won every game, and it's you realize how hard they are to win, but also you realize you're like that because we were good and we were good in every facet, offense, defense, and special teams. And it was very became very real, um, early on in the year, and you could feel it with our players and their confidence, and it was. Um, so I was one of the most special years I've been a part of, and, um, man, am I still upset that we didn't finish it. Um, but that's also the NFL. It's not a seven game series and that's what you have to live with in this sport. And what I'm so pumped about is I, I think when we had to make some big off moves cause we lost a couple guys, I think we did it as good as we could, um, to replace those guys or just still keep being where we're at. But we got a good team. And I just, I want this to get started so bad. I just wanted, I man, I wish it's just the fifth quarter of the Super Bowl and we're getting right back into it because it's weird. We haven't seen our players since then. I mean, I've seen them on Zoom meetings and stuff, but I'm just sitting in this office just waiting for guys to get back. And with going through the quarantine and everything, it does, it feels like it just ended. And I feel like I got the same team coming back and we're just waiting to get these rules so we can get started because, man, are we pumped to play football?
2: Yeah, I I understand it. I mean, you got one of the most talented teams in the game right now. All right, so I just want to like, so you 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 really think like Jimmy G, his last time or his last little phase of okay, he settled in. You can almost tie that together. It just sounded like from your answer when Emmanuel Sanders got there, did you feel like that took Jimmy's play and 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 uh, to maybe the next level up or whatever for lack of a better phrase?
1: Yeah, I I mean that was the timing of it. I don't know if it was, it was right. So I think our defense carried us at the beginning of the year. And when and then our run game carried our offense at the beginning of the year to where it, we didn't have to do much and put a lot on Jimmy yeah. or we didn't have to call a lot of passes. During that time, though, it allowed us to be undefeated to while all of a sudden I think Jimmy never thought about his ACL, you know, come like week six, seven, eight. Like it just it allowed us to go through that weather, that storm that so many players have to go through when they come back from an injury like that. And we were able to go through it without even really having to address it because of how good our defense was in our running game. And then by the time Emmanuel got here, which was I think was week eight, the the ACL was an afterthought. And, and now our defense had a couple bad games and Jimmy was ready. I mean, he was just being the quarterback he could be. And he wasn't the guy coming back from an ACL. And that's kind of when all right, we got a whole team. It's it's everything. yeah. And it, yeah wasn't, it wasn't just, all right, now Jimmy's ready. It was the receivers got ready with them. Um, the running backs did. Raheem started coming on strong. We were understanding our rotation better. We lost Staley and McGlinchey and Brunskill in school. Um, one guy from the AAF league and another seventh round draft choice came in and we, we still ran the ball well. We still won those games. It just gave everyone a confidence like Oh my God! It doesn't matter who's out there. We are just a good team, and that's what I mean. When we lost Kittle and Ross Dwelly came in and played great, and it was just our team kind of fed off it because it it was real, and it just everyone all of a sudden, all, everyone felt good, and that carried us for a while, and that's why I mean we were very confident going into the game, all those playoff games, into the Super Bowl, and um, so I, I mean we ended up being the second best team, and. We um, have some unfinished business with that, and um, hopefully we can change that this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, like you know, when do you when do you get over a loss like that? Like, how long does it take you to just kind of like move on with life a little bit?
1: I don't think you ever totally get over it. Yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, you get your de- your depression leaves, so I guess what that would say, getting over it. I mean, I go, <laughs> yeah. I went. I went February and March, I mean, I wasn't in the best state. I mean, it's no one died, you know? Like, I still have my health. I still have my family. But, man, does it hurt when you know how close you were to something and how big of a deal that is um, and how easily you could have done it. Um, and especially when you feel like you kind of earned it, too. But you still got to get it done. It wasn't going to be a lucky thing. Like, we were that good. So, like, that's a hard thing to deal with in February and March because it's so soon. But you get over it because you – And you love your life. You still are going to go out and work. It is just a sport, but 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 it's my livelihood. But that's where you get over like the depression and everything. And now you get ready to go compete again. That's what I enjoy doing. And I've also seen this long enough to where, I mean, I've just watched my dad go through so much stuff, and I've watched myself go through so much stuff that, in order for you to be a good father, to be a good person, and how much it does mean to me, which you know how much football means to me. Um, our yeah, players know how much it means to anyone who knows me knows how much it means to me, but that's also why you got to make sure that, you know, you're a, you're a man first, you're like you're a husband first, you're, you're a, a father first. You are not just a football coach because you can't let that define you. Um, and you put it in perspective and that's what allows you to go on. But Holy shit, dude, I want to get back to there and get that done. Again. I, <laughs> and that's why I, 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 know I you never do. let it go. And uh, so it's, I'll never let it go. But, Yeah, I can can deal with it. I can live with it and I can go do it again. And I'm not scared to lose. I'll go do it again and get everything I have like that. That's when what I mean you can deal with it because I'll I'll lose eight times in a row and still try to go for another. And I definitely don't plan on that happening. But that's when, you know, something can't break, you no matter how bad it is. And that's it does kind of make you stronger. Like if you ever told me when I was little, like, hey, you'll be at this point in the Super Bowl and this is what happens. I'll be like, oh, my God what, what do I do? Do I just go cry for the rest of my life? You'd be like, no, you had a tough couple of weeks, but you moved on and you were the same person. I'm like, Oh man, I didn't think I could handle it. And you do, you just handle it and you get stronger <laughs> and you get, you go through these deals that make you stronger and wiser and they do make you better. Like I promise they make me better. I just, when you have a Super Bowl ring, it makes you look better. So I want to make sure we get one of those. Cause that's what we all work for.
2: Yeah. I know I mean, have you got to watch the game with your players, Jimmy, anybody at this point? I mean, have I've you watched, had many conversations with guys on the team about yeah.
1: it? Yeah. During the Zoom meetings and stuff, I would pull it up a lot. It came up a ton in our cutups. Um, I have not sat down and watched play one to the last play with them. Um, I would like to do, that was my plan in OTAs when I could get everyone together and to do something like that. Um, I'm going to do something similar to that here when we get everyone back, whatever day that is. Um, but there's parts about it that you, you, it is a new year, but you, you want to address it because you don't want guys to run from it at all, and, and right. you want hungry over it and see like guys, it's not it's not rocket um, it's not rocket science. Like you can just this is why we lost. This is why we could have won. Like it's these plays. All right, there's never one play. There's a bunch, but it adds up, and everyone can sit. You can however you want the mood to be, you can dictate that guys will be like, Oh my God, Oh, we can easily do this again. Or you can just crush guys and make them feel horrible. I don't want to do that. I want guys to see how easily we could have done it. And also remember how hard it was to get there. Cause that's also what people don't realize. Like, yeah, we have a good team on paper, but all our guys right now are independent contractors. Like, and I guarantee our guys have been working hard, but our team hasn't been working hard and you, you become a team. Together and going through things together, and that's what none of us had done. Um, So when our players get here, uh, yeah, I'm going to show them some of the Super Bowl, and they know we have one goal to get there. But they have to know, like we haven't done shit yet, and we have to put in the work as a team. And that's why I'm just so excited to get these rules and stuff because we're ready to put the work in. I've been talking to our guys; they've been working so hard individually, but I want to get our the Niners better, not just individual guys.
2: You know, I got like – because you made these comments to your fans, I think, a few weeks ago about I want to get back there right now and do it again. And, you know, my buddy Florio, he takes that like, oh, you know, is Shanahan saying Super Bowl or bust? And, you know, he tries to to play that whole thing. And, you know, of course, I mean, we, you know, what do you say? I know it's not like that, right? I mean, I know you're not afraid to go through the process again. No, I say – I mean, mean, that's why none of us –
1: that's why I I never want to do this stuff. That's why he's taking you – you do 167 podcasts to get me back on because I know Florio's gonna find something <laughs> on here and he's like, Oh, but Kyle's only worried about this, like, and whatever. I don't get mad at anyone because you guys need content. Um, but that's that's just why it's hard to talk, like, man, we were right a place short of the Super Bowl. What do people expect us our expectations to be? I mean, that yeah. that's what it is. No, I don't want to say that because. Someone like Florio might make a headline that makes me look like a douchebag for calling someone like that. I, can I talk like this on your podcast? <laughs> you, totally. This totally, my <laughs> podcast. You fucking can talk. Any I feel like you I'm want. facetiming with you, so I'm gonna get too comfortable. <laughs> oh. but hell yeah, we, we feel like that. But do I think we're just gonna? If we just think like that and think we're gonna show up, we won't get to the playoffs. Like, right? It's this league is too hard. Like, no one has an easy way. Like, my, the hardest years of my life have been coaching i feel like i've been the two years i've gone to a super bowl because you know you have a good team and how much harder it gets each week the way teams are playing you and how how intense it is because you don't want to mess that up and this year will be so much harder and we can have a better team and still not do what we did last year and no one's more aware of that than myself i've been around the sport way too long but every time i answer a question i'm not going to cover all that but that's all i talk to my players about is once you feel good in this league I promise you will be so humbled. It's unbelievable. Like you always need to be thinking you're about to get fired. You always need to think you're about to get cut. You always need to think you're about to get replaced because you are. I've seen it to the best coaches, the best players, this league goes. And it's high. It's very competitive. And if you start thinking like anything is easy, just you're already on your way out because you got to earn everything. And that's what I like about our sport, like, because it's, it tells you a little bit about who you are like you, when to make it in this league for a while and to, to be, to call a place to do stuff. Like I don't care who you are. You're going to get beat up just like a quarterback in this league. And you just, you can't start. You got to be very humble and know how hard you have to work just to even get to a spot to compete.
2: Yeah. I I hear you. And I know you do that. I mean, you're a grinder. You live it. You take it home with you. I mean, your wife has to hear you talk about these things. First off, I mean, your wife told me she's gonna send me like the Shanahan trucker hat and some 49ers gear. I'm still void of that, okay? So tell her I'm not letting her off the hook with that crap.
0: Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield,
2: um but all right i got to just hit this a little because I, first off this is the number one thing i've always been impressed with you or or by you as a coach and even john lynch who you know i played with you know we were there in tampa and a uh, great guy but your honesty i think your honesty is the thing that jumps out to me more than anything and specifically when it comes to hey the tough conversation that you probably had to have with jimmy Garoppolo this off season when all the rumors were flying of the Tom Brady to San Francisco talk and all of that stuff. Like, what is it about you? Is it something in your past? How do you go about making a phone call to Jimmy like that? I mean, so that's to me is where players always glow about you is your honesty. And it's probably the number one thing people say to me about you about in the media, about why you're refreshing at times because you're, you're not afraid to kind of say it how it is a little bit.
1: Um, I mean I, I think it'd be so much harder if i wasn't that way like i don't get how you can talk with it i'm not i'm not a good liar and i can't keep like you can't you just i i don't know you just it's easy to talk if you just tell people how you feel and right. now it's sometimes it's hard to do that um you don't know what your situation is you don't know how people are going to judge you and people are always trying to beat you up in this league um and everywhere um it's great for me the place i'm at you know, I. I have an owner who truly is himself and he knows me. I have a GM who's truly himself who got into this business for one reason, because he missed the camaraderie of uh, um, having one common goal and trying to achieve something. He he wanted to be back in football so bad because he missed trying to chase a championship. And that's it. That's the only reason he got back in here, not to mention he's a great person and knows a lot about football. And I have an owner who just – is a genuine dude like there's no agendas with any of us and so when you have that it is very easy to be yourself cuz um, everyone knows what our common goal is like even if we have arguments and stuff it's well it's not like that one's trying to get credit or one wants to do this or one wants to be famous or like it's not, no they just that's truly what this guy thinks will help us get to the super bowl and that's how they know i think too and so it's so easy when you have like minded people even if their personalities are different, that just their intentions are the same. And that's why I think it's different for me in this organization and how easy it's been for me to be myself. Um, On top of that with players. I mean, that was another big advice that my dad always said, just always be honest with guys. Um, It's something I've always done. Um, I think it's hurt me with probably two to three players in my career. Um, which some people don't like what you have to say, but I've also learned sometimes you're the only person who tells them the truth. And some of these guys get so distorted from people don't know, like, I don't know how the stock market works and all that stuff. And, but you know, uncles and agents and girlfriends or wives, like they don't know what the three technique was supposed to do, what the coverage was like, but everyone cares about everyone. You hear all this stuff. So people get fed so much stuff. And I mean, you know, players don't know half the time either. Um, and sometimes coaches don't like not everybody knows the big picture. And it's, I mean, that's the easiest thing for me with players or coaches when you have to have that tough conversation is they know I'm not trying to hide from anything. And it's to just explain to them what, Hey man, this is what I do. This is what I'm responsible for. Um, I am responsible to pr- pr- put out the best team possible for the organization of the Niners. And if I don't do that, like, My daughter might have to move schools again Um, or that I might have to end up firing this coach or I might end up having to cut this other player. And and you you explain those to guys and everyone just gets it. Oh, all right. Well, that makes sense. Man, I I better do this better. (laughs) You know, like it's it's not a it's not a threat. You're not it's not high school. It's not college where, you know, the guy's still on scholarship there for four years like you are running a business. And yes, I'm a football coach and that's how I carry myself. And that's how I talk. And that's why I love hanging around football players. I love hanging around football coaches. I don't care what your age is. I just love being around football people. That's what I enjoy, Um, but you are still the boss. And when you understand the business of it and you can understand all that and explain it to people because it's not that complicated. You just have to have the experience of it. People appreciate that. And then they understand why you have to make decisions. And we all want everyone to get paid. We want everyone to be, we're all good people but you got to remind people what your job is sometimes. And then, then they'll actually come to you for advice and they'll be like, you know what? That does make sense. All right. These other people might not know that side of the story. And that's what I think people appreciate the most. And I mean, I didn't have many coaches that were always honest with me either. And that stuff drove me crazy as a player. And I mean, I resort, I I talk about my playing days way too much because I didn't have really playing days, but I mean, I was played at a big time college and I was around it a lot and, um, but I learned so much from what I went through, and I'm like, I mean, I never, I, any coach who yelled at me or anything. I mean, I didn't care if coaches yelled at me. I just know when someone's teaching me and when someone's right. Mad. And very right. rarely was someone teaching me, and and that's where my biggest thing has been. I just want to teach people, and I'll be myself. I can be intense. I can naturally maybe yell it's not very much, but I don't. But I'm nothing's worse than when you see coaches who are doing something based off of someone else watching them like who raised their voice because someone else is around or because the GM's out on the field today or the owner right. or whatever it is, or because the head coach is right at them. So they're going to yell at that guy harder in front of the team. So he covers his ass and like, it's players know that players are smart. We all know that. And you got to, you just got to be a real dude. And when you're in an organization that allows you to, which it has here, it's so much easier. You don't have people coming in and question you all the time. Like, hey, why'd you do this? People know that you're qualified to do what you do, and then they allow you to be yourself. And that's why it's, it's been different for us here um, in our
2: three years here,
1: and it's been really fun.
2: Yeah, it seems that way. And, it, it, you know, when I talk to guys that play for you, they all kind of echo, echo some of those sentiments, Kyle. So it speaks a lot to how you handle situations. And, you know, there's people out there, you know, of course they think, oh, you know, Kyle's crazy. The 49ers are crazy. They said no to Tom Brady or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you know, and I try to say to people, it's not about no to Tom Brady or anything like that. You know, first off, I know you've told me a lot of positive things about Jimmy Garoppolo. He's unflappable. You know, he has the right demeanor to win. But it also seems like the team really loves Jimmy G. Like, tell us just why, what it is about him that seems to make the guys kind of gravitate towards him.
1: Um, I mean, I think it starts with your talent. First of all, I mean the way he throws the ball and stuff at practice. Some of the plays he's made in games. Um, I mean, guys believe in him. Um, look at our record here with him on the field and our record without him. Um, so it starts with that. Uh, but the way he carries himself to the guys, he's always one of the guys. Um, he's always himself. Um, he's when he comes in the building, he's he's not the CEO of the building. He's like one of the guys. You know, they don't they're comfortable around him. He doesn't act different. He's He's their age most of our guys I mean he's right in the middle of the pack of everyone and guys believe in him I mean when you're like 4 and 22 without him and then you have his record with them it's and I know the circumstances are different um, you know especially with our defense and stuff but guys know that and when he's gone yeah. in he's made plays and it's just like the practice field and when you have guys like that I mean guys are excited to play for him and then when you're a good dude and never he'll never throw anyone under the bus. No matter what, right, I mean, right? You see how good he is to our teammates at, at the press conference and everything, and they know he's got their back, and so they got his. What,
2: what's he? What? What's the teaching moment for Jimmy G last year? You know, just the last thing on him. I don't mean to beat this to death, but of course he's the quarterback of the Super Bowl team, and everybody talks about him. But like, what do you take away from the year that you'll try to preach to him? as, you know the the banner theme for twenty twenty football season?
1: Mine to Jimmy is just. But you're just getting started. Was, last year was your first year playing quarterback for a whole season. Like you've never had a longer than a three game stretch. And last year you got 16 and look how good you did. Look how far we got. And oh my God, we almost got all the way, but that's not the finished product. And that's what I, I feel about everything. I feel about myself. I feel about our team. Like guys, that's, we didn't just almost get there. We're still going and you have to get better. And what I like about our team is when I'm talking about Jimmy, how can he not get better? He's played one season, and that's just the starting point. You look at some of our receivers, some of our D linemen. Like we got guys who almost played good enough, and we almost coached good enough last year for us to win a Super Bowl. And that that's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow that it wasn't enough. What's really cool is when I look at our team, and I'm not making stuff up. No one's at their peak individually. Our guys right, should get right. better. Like our guys. Uh, they, our guys can get better. Our receivers can. Our D line can. Our quarterback can. Our we got we got guys who can get better, and that's what's exciting. And with with Jimmy, I know everyone thinks he's been in the league so long because he's gotten a second contract and everything. Um, but quarterbacks, with his ability, um, they get better the more they play and the more situations yeah. they're in, and that's the key for Jimmy is just to to know that and keep doing it
2: when all right two more two more things and i'll let you go because i know this has already been too long and you got better things to do than talk to me you're just so all lucky right, I got, that
1: I, we have no rules yet because I'm just i i'm sitting know. here waiting to make a schedule
2: <laughs> i know i know well we're gonna get into that in a second all right i just want to ask this just as a fanboy right um what point of the super bowl i just to get like did you go uh-oh we might be in trouble here like was it as soon as he completes the third and 15? Was it when it became, you know, when they scored the touchdown, there we go, 2017? Or at what point were you like, oh, no, you know, momentum might have switched to them and watch it? It wasn't right when
1: they got that third and 15, because I thought it was over to me if they didn't get that. And right when they got that, I knew it wasn't over. I knew it was a yeah. game. Like, everyone's like, when it – they didn't it's, – it's a time. When you can have two possessions – and with no worry about the time, like the clock isn't a deal to me. And it would have been three possessions if they didn't get that first down. And that's when the clock was a deal. But once they got that, I was like, all right, this is a game now. And, and we had to come and they scored and we had to convert the next. And on a second and 10 or a second and six, um, they brought a Sam Mike corner blitz into our run and we pulled it and threw an RPO. And um, the deal- and Chris Jones tipped it. And we went to third and six. We had to convert that to stay on the field to make it tough. And then we missed the third down. So it was that tip ball on second and six and then the third down that we missed. Then, then that's when I was like, all right, the momentum was completely changed now. Right. Um, right. I knew once the third and 15 happened, I was like, all right, it's a game. We could have ended it. We had Kittle uncovered and Chris Jones made a hell of a play and tipped it. Um, they brought the Sam Mike corner blitz to uh, three by one slot. And we flooded the other way, which you can't cover all that. And Kittle was uncovered, and he just got his hands up and tipped it. And then we didn't convert the third down. And that's when I was like, all right, now the momentum's changed. Um, Because now it's just one score, and they are moving. And you could tell before that third and 15 that we had momentum. You could feel that they kind of felt it, and that rejuvenated everybody.
2: Yeah. All right. So you just mentioned it like you're sitting in your office right now. You don't really know what the rules are going to be where it's in the, the year of coronavirus. And, you know, what what's your thought process right now? I mean, what's the off season been like for you dealing with all this? I mean, are you just like the rest of us sitting back and just kind of waiting to see what goes on and what happens and what you can and can't do?
1: Yeah, we're pretty much the same. I mean, we got a uh a- a protocol a few weeks ago on, you know, getting everyone back in and how to get our meeting room set up and the social distancing and everything. And we had to get all that pass from our County and everything just to allow us to come back in. So like, what we know right now is that we follow the protocols of our building to where, you know, it's, we can't have, we we're wearing these bracelets around um, to say when we're in six feet of people, so we can track everything. Wow. I'm in my office right now and no one in here. So this is the only time I can have my mask off or anything. Um, you know, we're knocking down a few walls just so we can have them, you know, where we have a, our quarterback room, you know, we have four quarterbacks in there for training camp with six feet apart. Like we, we could only fit one quarterback in there and a coach, um, cause it's not the biggest room. So, and we have that issue in a lot of rooms. So we're having to change all this stuff. You know, I had to get tested here. They wouldn't let me in, so I got two tests. Now we're getting tested every day here. Um, that's going to happen for the players coming up. The, uh, what they have put into this, to like allow us to practice, it's unbelievable. Like, I can't believe how good, like Ben Peterson um, is the guy who's in charge of this stuff for us, Dustin Lill, our trainer, like our stuff's top notch now on how to get back. Because I'm, I'm like everyone else, like when we get everyone together, what does this mean? I mean, you read the news and there's a hundred different things about COVID. So I just try to play it safe. Um, but I have the same concerns coming back since we've been back in here and I've seen our protocols and how they have this building. It makes me truly believe we can pull this off. Now the hard the hard thing for for me right now is we have all this stuff down, but we're just sitting here kind of waiting till we know how many players we can have the building, how many padded, padded practices, how many days when they come in. Are we just lifting and running before we can go out there and go against each other? So there's going to be a they're they're deciding on all that right now, and I'm sure we're going to get that. I mean we're waiting day to day for it, but they got to they got to collectively agree on it. And there's some really hard stuff. So we're kind of in limbo here as coaches, like our building is set up to do this, but now I got to get kind of the rule book by practice hours, stuff like that. So we can set up a plan and it will be different. It's totally gonna be different, but man, I've been at home long enough and I think we've all watched sports not happening long enough that I'm excited to try to pull it off. And I'm so much more optimistic after getting in here and seeing how these buildings are. Now, what I'm looking forward to is getting the rules for all 32 coaches. And as long as we are all in the same deal, it's going it to it's gonna be fun. I mean, how to pull this off with the numbers and, all right, we have 80 on our roster or 90. We're still not sure yet, but, you know, you only can have 45 in your building at once. So are we going to, like, herd people in and out or, or do you trim your roster? Like, there's all these thoughts that we're having, um, but we got to see the rules first. And then I think all 32 of us will act accordingly to whatever we think. Um, but that's what I'm kind of excited to get. It's just each day I'm kind of coming in and waiting.
2: Yeah, I I know that's gotta drive you crazy because you're a psycho like most coaches in the (laughs) NFL. And like just for a look or a peep behind the curtain, like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the time of the year where right now you would be, okay, players getting ready to come in. You're doing your schedule for the first three weeks of training camp, right? And you're kind Uh, of trying to map it out.
1: Oh yeah. I got and I mean I got this map behind me. I don't know if you can right. see it, right here, but it's it's pretty blank. Yeah, got all reps and stuff down there, and how well we've done each year with ones, twos, and threes. And I mean, we we get the numbers right on how many plays we're going to put in, how many reps we're going to get each guy, how many days we have practice, how many reps you need the ones to get ready, how many reps you need for the to allow whoever's competing to show who's better. Um, all this type of stuff. But, you know, we need to know how many days we have. And I'm going to sit here and try to fit all that in. Um, and if it's different, which I expect it to be different, uh, then we're going to adjust. Um, but what's cool, I mean, this is the first time, you know, we've gone without preseason. And that, that does help a lot, you know, because usually you got to put in those travel days for that. And I, I don't care as much about the game, but you miss practice the day before, practice the day of, right. and practice the day after. Um, so knowing that we don't have those, Even if we have less days, I think we might be able to make it up because we don't have to go to travel to games. So we might be able to get the same amount of work in. But that's all we're just kind of waiting to see. And I can't imagine the stuff that they're having to agree on. So, like, I understand why it's taking long. Um, But it's coming. And I think they're going to have it sooner than later. Um, And, I mean, where I felt compared to a few months ago... I I feel good now. I think we'll get through this. I'm watching like the European leagues and their soccer teams and stuff, and they're not in a bubble. And You know, I think, I think there's a chance when we bring everyone in, the testing could not be great right away. Like it looks like with all these college teams when they come back. But I do feel like the way we run stuff and the way these buildings are, that we can get it under control over um, a few week period, a month period and have a chance to do this. And um, I didn't always feel that way, but from what I've seen and what I've heard um, being in this building, A lot more optimistic than I used to.
2: That's interesting, though, that you would rat, yeah, that you're, you know, you're pro, no preseason games. You, you want that extra to to you, it was all the way that extra practice time beats the experience of the game and whatever it, whatever else it may be that it includes for some of the younger players.
1: Well, yeah, it's just, it's different this year. I mean, I'm all for the preseason because there's a couple guys we've never seen in in a game who are pretty good in practice, and then you throw them out there in a, in a preseason game and they freak out and you're like, all right, they're not ready. we got to put them on practice squad. And and that's good to know. And it's also good when we can't decide, these guys are neck and neck. It's nice to just let it play out and to see what happens. Um, But this year is different. And and I also, I mean, how bad does it suck for guys not to get film who won't make the team and that film has a chance to make other teams. They won't get that. So there's very good reasons to have preseason. Uh, But this year our goal is to get to the season and to have a year and, and that does make it harder with, I mean, you need 90 guys to go through. I, from my experience, I, I have the experience of how many players it takes to get through a training camp while also having them play four games. And I truly believe it takes about 90. Now, yeah. how many players does it take to get through a training camp without games? I don't know. No one does. We've never done this before. I don't think it takes 90. And so, like, that's what we're all going to try to figure out and that it does – makes sense that it's going to be a lot easier to social distance and stuff with less people, you know, but I know I need 90 if we're playing these preseason games, because there's, it takes too much out of guys Right. or not. So now how many do we need? And that's what I don't know. And that's what I'm trying to think of right now. And because we want to do our best job, social distancing and stuff. And that's going to be a hell of a lot easier with 53 than 90, but you also you got to there's a lot to figure out. And that, that's what's going to be fun in these next couple of weeks weeks, um, because I don't we're not going to be practicing right away, regardless when they decide. And there's going to be a process where they're just lifting and running. Um, So I'm not panicked about it. I'm just a little bored. I just want these rules because I came back ready to work, shaved my beard, ready to go. Got my like mindset on <laughs> and it's coming in here and I keep ending up coming home before dinner. And my wife's like, I thought you were going back to work. And I'm like, I false alarm um, one more day.
2: Yeah, yeah, she's sick of you, I, and that's understandable. I get it. I get it, Mandy. You're sick of them. All right, last thing, last question. I just threw on it because I've had a few friends around. Like, I have other friends that are coaches. You said, like, last
1: thing and last question going on for a long time now, dude. Got a, okay. This live thing was, is saying an hour and five minutes, and you told me 30 at the most.
2: Okay. All we right, right. We'll, <laughs> we'll end right there. I'm going to just end it, okay? You know, go ahead. All one right. more,
1: dude. You want one I more? I was
2: going to ask. Well, I have some, like, friends on some other teams where – you know, their facilities are inadequate, right? They're smaller in their team facility. They're like, man, I don't know how this is going to work or whatever. Is it like a blessing in disguise that your facility or the teams that have facilities like yours are connected to a stadium? Because oh, I kind of talk this about stuff. I mean,
1: if we weren't by our stadium, we would have a huge issue because we don't have a lot of real estate and we don't have 200 yard fields, uh, which is, I've never been in a building that doesn't have at least three. Um, so we don't have a lot of real estate because what we talked about early and the land out here, there's not a lot, but we are right next to the stadium and like, we can't fit in our normal facility. The biggest meeting I can have is with 30 people with all of them being six feet apart. Luckily I can go over to the stadium and we can use this area where I can have a meeting with 60 people, you know, but like if, if there wasn't social distancing, our team room fits 90. Now it only could fit 30. So like, what if. Like, I don't know, but I, that's, that's what teams are going to be like um who aren't by their stadium. Like in Atlanta, they have a big flowery branch. They should be able to pull it off, not by the stadium, but I don't know like the chargers or, or the Rams. Like, I don't know like if they're too small. I mean, that you just, if we didn't have the stadium, I'd have to bring 30 guys in to have a meeting and I'd have to bring 30 in later to have a meeting. I, I don't know what I, or I'd have a huge 10 on the football field. Like we, we have to follow these rules and that's what, that's what's when you come in here, you see it's like, oh, all right, we we can pull this off, but it's going to be hard um, for the coaches and it's it's going to be cool for all get the same rules and stuff. But th- those are the challenges.
2: You're done. We did all right, it. man? Okay. Appreciate Thanks it, for being an awesome friend. You the man. All right. All right. Get out of but, here. Go do what you got to do. Just press leave on the bottom of the thing and you're all done. All
1: right. I'll be ready for like podcast 425 maybe.
2: Okay. Right. <laughs> dude, sounds good. Sounds good. See you, dude. Be good. Hey, All right, man. That's see it. You. See you, dude. That's it for Chris Sims unbutton. That's Kyle Shanahan. We got to tell the 49ers maybe to buy him a stand for his cell phone or maybe just buy him an iPad, do something like that. But I hope everybody enjoyed that. Um, as you know, that's one of my best friends in the whole world. He's a great coach. And anybody who listens to this interview, I think, is going to realize, wow, he loves football. He's smart. He's very detailed. He lives it. And, uh, you know, he's he's a good guy to listen to talk football or just talk in general as a friend and a guy. And I hope that came off uh, in this interview. But that's it. Peace out. We'll be back next Monday for Kristen's Unbuttoned. I think we got Ahmed Farid going to be leading the charge with me. We're going to hit a bunch of different topics around the NFL and probably do something fun that, you know, social media can shit on me once again because that seems to be a fun weekly thing right now. All right, everybody. Have a good weekend. Peace out persons on button
0: Jeez.